Hello and welcome back to the Edge of the Box podcast, a podcast by whoscored.com, where every week we preview the upcoming weekend's Premier League action. I'm your host, Dan Bardell, joined by Jonathan Wilson and George Ellick as well. This week, we are going to start with Manchester United v Brighton. I'm going to get straight into it, Jonathan. So our first glimpse of Hoyland in a Manchester United shirt before the international break. What did you make of that first glimpse? He was okay. He he might have had a penalty. Um, he was only on the pitch for 23 minutes. Um, I don't know. People seem to be getting very excited by him saying, oh, yeah, he's 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 definitely the man to, to make United work. Like he he might be. I I I didn't think it was as exciting as some people made out, and the fact that people were so excited by it, I think suggests just just how low United have sunk. Um, he didn't win a header in the game, which, given his size, is something you, you'd hoped he might have achieved. Um, but yeah, you know, he's got energy, and um, so what? Yeah, that instant where he 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 possibly could have won a penalty. I, I guess that that is something. But I just I just don't really think that twenty three minutes you can you can judge. I mean, to be honest, I found the international break probably one of the most tedious I've ever found an international break until last night, England obviously obviously playing Scotland, George. So my memory might not be serving me correctly here. But was, was he involved in the, in the in the goal that never was for Manchester United late on by, by dropping deep? I think that was one facet I remember watching in that game and thinking his, his link-up play was pretty good in, in dropping deep in that brief cameo. Yeah, maybe. I think it was just United fans getting excited about having an actual striker playing up front. You know, a guy that is physical enough to at least try and bully defenders. Like his pressing numbers have been very good throughout his career. He's someone who obviously puts himself about a bit. His goal scoring record is fine. You know, it's it's good having a a left-footed striker offer something a bit different. And he's also, you know, capable of pulling wide and running the channels and getting balls in. So like he is something that United haven't had for a long time. And I think when you're used to having Anthony Martial playing up front for you and suddenly you've got a bit of a unit coming on who can probably influence a game just basically whenever he's near the ball a bit more often than, than Martial does, then, then you're going to get excited. But, you know, as Jonathan said, it was it was 25 minutes. He seems to be getting a lot of credit for for basically bustling around and, and, and nearly winning a penalty. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how he gets on. As I say, I think stylistically, just Manchester United having a striker, having a, a, an out-and-out centre-forward is going to improve them. Yeah, I mean, it does feel very 2016 when Martial's leading the life, the life of Manchester United. I'm not sure. But that, that's, that's exactly it, happening. isn't it? That, yeah, that, to me, is a bigger indicator of where United are at. The fact that Martial is still the man they have to turn to at the start because yeah. Lashford is clearly more effective on the left. I know they've tried to play him through the middle to get Garnacho in. And yeah, there's there's hope there in Garnacho, But I don't know. People seem to be placing a lot of, a lot of faith in him. And yeah, there have been promising signs, but... He's a kid who plays in the same position as probably your best player. I mean, I, I sort of thought this with with uh, Pogba failing a drug test this week. Um, just how many players have gone to United for large sums of money and been made worse? There's a lot. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> all of them. <laughs> yeah, who's gone to United in the last five, ten years and seen their value increase? I think that's especially true in front three positions. I think they've not improved anyone in their front three. Rashford's still their best player in their front three, and he came through the academy. But anyone they've put in that front three has regressed, really. I think that, that's but, a but, and well, even Rashford, anyway. Even Rashford had like a malaise yeah. of a few seasons as well. Um, yeah, he did. But also, yeah, he did. On, on the Rashford thing, if, if any manager ever plays him through the middle again, 
thinks a sackable offence on its own. Like he, he's just he's absolutely in no way is, is he a striker. It's almost like a relic of the fact that because he played up front when he was 18 years old and broke into the side, there's still this perception that he can do a job through the middle. He's completely wasted out there. Like his skill set is that of a player that gets on the ball on the left and comes inside onto his right foot. Like that is what he does time and time again. He's, and he's one of the best at it. So when he's shoving through the middle, and you're just taking away his the one area where he's cons- consistently impactful in, in games. Yeah, I mean, the battle of two number nines this weekend, potentially Hoyland may play for Manchester United. I think Evan Ferguson, Jonathan, will certainly play for Brighton in this big game this weekend. And we've got, we've got a head-to-head graphic co- coming on the screen now. Evan Ferguson last week against Newcastle, Jonathan, just he just has always seen, ever since he's broken into the Brighton team, like the complete striker that can do a little bit of everything. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I was at a game at Brighton and, and he, he was, I mean, that second goal, just a ridiculously good goal. I, I mean, okay, the third one, he gets a little bit lucky, but even then, the way he checks onto his left foot, where he creates a space for himself, that's incredibly impressive. The first goal, he, you know, he's got the this sort of positional awareness to know where the ball might drop to and, and to be there. Um, but that second goal, I mean, it, it, I think the way Dan Byrne dropped made it easy for him. But to move, to move on to a pass coming into you, to turn, and then just to, to, to size up what you're going to do, and from near enough 30 yards, essentially side foot the ball in the bottom corner, it's just a, a ludicrously good goal. Um so I've seen various people sort of saying, oh, you know, he's he's reminiscent of, of, of Kane. But Deserby actually, and I think he's right, uh, Deserby sort of said, no, that he's not really like Kane at all. And he was compared to Holland, and he said, no, he's not like Holland. So we sort of said to him, well, who does he remind you of? And the player he said was Christian Vieri. And I mean, there's I like the, obvious, I like the obvious difference is that Ferguson's right foot and Vieri was left foot. But apart from that, in terms of being that all-round player, that he's big, he's strong, he can win balls in the air, he's good with his back to goal, but he's a phenomenally good finisher and scores goals from outside the box as well. I, I think he's an incredibly exciting prospect. The, the only thing you would say, uh, I mean, this isn't really about Ferguson, it's, a, it's about how we talk about young players, that you know, he's the fourth 18-year-old to score a hat-trick in the Premier League. Um, so Michael Owen's got three, Robbie Fowler and Chris Bart-Williams. I was not expecting you to say Chris Bart Williams. I was expecting the name Wayne Rooney to come out. I was not expecting Chris Bart Williams. Yeah, I mean, not somebody I think you think of as being prolific. Um, but also, and I, know, I don't know if it's just because of injuries, but Owen and Fowler, it sort of felt to me they, they didn't quite achieve what they promised to achieve. I mean, they achieved great things, don't get me wrong. But, but, yeah, but it felt the end of their careers were anticlimactic. Hmm. Um, so there is that, that caveat. Uh, that's, that's scoring hat tricks at an early age, but he's very different to Fowler and, and Owen. I mean, very, obviously very different to Chris Bart Williams, who's just not that sort of player, not not a centre forward. Owen, obviously, his pace was the key thing. Fowler had a, a, you know pace in a different way. He was sharp over short distances and had that phenomenal awareness. And maybe he has got that awareness, but I, I don't think he's got the sort of absolute lightning pace of the two of them. And so that maybe makes you think that that is his skill set is more replicable. He's not reliant on 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 the speed. But then, you know, Vieri as well, yeah, by the end of his career was suffering badly from injuries. So uh, there is always that caveat. Yeah, you said earlier, uh, George, that it would be a crime if Rashford, a manager played or a sackable offensive Rashford was played through through the middle. It would be a sackable offensive Danny Welbeck played over Evan Ferguson <laughs> in, in, in the near future. I, I think we'll we'll always see Deserby rotate between his front options. I think Welbeck still has a part to play in this side. I think there are, there are players who benefit from when Welbeck does play 
because he's still a very intelligent footballer. Um, but, you know, in Ferguson, we've got a guy who is playing at a phenomenal level for, a, for an 18-year-old. Um, kind of on, on what Jonathan was saying, there are examples in the past of players, especially players who are of, of that, you know, he doesn't look 18. He looks like a like a man. You know, he doesn't look like a, a teenager. And you think back to players like Emil Heskey, who was a very different player in, in his late teens than he was in his late 20s. Michael Ricketts, who in his late teens, early 20s, looked like an absolute world-beater. It, it, it's really hard to... Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just hard to maintain... You know, I, I think you're you're more suited to a, a longer career as a front man if you can maintain that athleticism. And, and I'm, with Ferguson, there's got to be a question mark because he's six foot two and because he's a big lad for his age. Whether or not he'll be able to to you know have that pace to go past players throughout his, uh, his career. But what is interesting, and I, I was surprised looking at this this morning, is that even though he's he's a big guy, his aerial win percentage and his and his um, headers one per game is is, is bizarrely low. Um, it might be a product of the way that Brighton play, possibly rather than actually actually the player. But I think there are only five players who played up front and had played more than 300 minutes last season who won fewer headers per 90 than Ferguson, which is quite a, a strange, especially because there's that one goal against Leicester, the header into the into the into right the uh, kind of glancing header, unbelievable header. So I mean, there's stuff to work on. But you know, when you consider that, I think Bohemians, the club he played for in Ireland have supposedly a 10% sell-on clause. <laughs> you know, when, when he does end up moving for near enough 100 million, it's going to be uh, going to be someday to be a Bose fan. Yeah, I think I mean, that, the... that point you make about injuries, I think that's maybe a reason why Danny Welbeck should play some games. <clears throat> that you've got to remember, I know he, he looks like a man, but he is only 18. And I think there is reason not to play him every week for that, because of that. And yeah, he's already, I mean, you know, he obviously missed the Ireland games uh, with with injury, had a had a few games out last season with injury. So I mean, look, that happens, obviously. So I, I'm not saying that's necessarily a reason to be too too fearful. But um, I don't know if you if you listen to Second Captain's podcast and Ken earlier and that went back and and looked at Michael Owen's first hat trick, Robbie Fowler's first hat trick, and what was what was said about them afterwards. And the thing that he picked out was Roy Evans, who was Liverpool manager at the time, about Michael Owen saying, uh, be a braver man than me, would leave him out next week. And Ken making the point, well, maybe he had been a bit braver. Maybe his hamstring wouldn't have snapped later that season. Hmm. Uh, and apparently Owen was a nightmare when he was left out. He was you know, was constantly complaining. I don't know what Ferguson's like as, as far as that goes, but what, what does Irby said after the game uh, two weeks ago made me think he, he is very aware of that danger of overexposing kids. Um uh, but I think it's where managers do have to resist pressure, both from the players, from the media, from fans, to keep playing the 18-year-old. I think I think you do need to give them time off. So people like you, in fact, Dan, people like Me. you ruin young players by saying that Danny Welbeck shouldn't play instead of them. <laughs> I, was I'm asking it. I was asking a question. He's also, <laughs> not a oh, I'm question. just asking questions. <laughs> you and Russell Brand just... and Matt Letizier. Stop. <laughs> oh, that's not, not Matt Letizier, please. Not, not Matt Letizier, um, please, Jonathan. He's also just been sent home from international duty, isn't he, with an injury? So, you know, he yeah. might not be, be be in from the start here anyway. Yeah, that's true. I hope he is because he's in my fantasy football team, which was a real differentiator <laughs> in fantasy football last week, Jonathan, which I'm sure you desperately a, care A braver about. man than you would leave him out if you're a fantasy football team. Kept him in, didn't I? Kept him in. You've got to, got to keep the fact that there's long, like, with these young players, they need games, Jonathan. You've got to have them in there. <laughs> In, in the start at 11. Actually, the fewest minutes per goal, if we look at the, the top 10 here, only Callum Wilson and Erling Haaland since the Premier League season kicked off last season have got a better 
goals per minute ratio. I worried I was going to say that wrong. So Erling Haaland's got 74.4 minutes per goal. Callum Wilson, 99.1. And Evan Ferguson is 115.7. And then the drop-off after that is by 12 minutes or so. So he's in good company. Yeah, I'd like to see those stats if you filtered out games where players have come off the bench. Because mm. quite a few Callum Wilsons who are off the bench, which is a skill in itself. I'm not knocking yeah. that, but yeah, he's done a, it done obviously that is a, it is a different thing to come off the bench against tired defenders and, and take advantage and, and to, to lead the line from the start and batter defenders to create space later on for others. Interesting. Well, I can't do that, but maybe who score can do that for us next week if, if we request it, if we ask them for it. Now, I think we recorded our last show before the transfer window shut, George, so we didn't get a chance to talk about Sofian Amrabat, who has joined Manchester United. There has been a need for another midfield player, particularly someone who's a little bit more defensive-minded. Will he improve things for them? Because they have looked very open at the start of this season. I think if, if Sofian Amrabat can't improve Manchester United's uh, midfield and it would say it'd be a pretty damning indictment on him because I think anyone I think Dan you could get in there alongside Casemiro and probably do a job Better. right now um, because they, they need someone who can um, you know he can play alongside Casemiro can provide some legs alongside him who can ensure that Casemiro isn't the only person protecting the, the back four it was interesting you know uh, last week or, or two weeks ago on this show um, Sam Ty who's, who's obviously seen more of Amrabat at club level than me spoke about how the Amrabat that we saw from Morocco in Qatar yeah, that was interesting. is quite a different player to, to the player that he's watched a lot of Fiorentina, kind of saying he's, he's much better on the ball than those of us who remember him from Morocco. He's less of that passionate, um, or, you know, either passionate or hothead, however you want to look at it, where he was playing in a million miles an hour. So, you know, I, I think it's a case of, of wait and see. It's, it's another example of... United's bizarre incompetence in the transfer market where, you know, they were first linked with Hoyland and, and Amrabat early in the summer and it took them three months to get the deals over the line. Uh, maybe if Amrabat had been there from from June, you know, then the season wouldn't have started so poorly and teams like Wolves wouldn't have been able to carve them open so easily even in the game that they won. So, yeah, re- really excited to see how he'll get on. Uh, certainly a player that Manchester United need, albeit a player whose stock seemed to rise sharply after a major tournament I think players that you're signing off the back of what is actually kind of five or six I mean there's no way that Amrabat I think would have been on United's radar if it wasn't for the World Cup and that in itself you know looking at players like uh, Karol Baborski going back a couple of <laughs> a couple Yordi, of decades Jordi Cruyff Jordi Cruyff yeah I mean it, it's not always the most sensible uh, recruitment plan but um, but yeah we'll, we'll see how he gets on Al Hadjouf as well, Salif yeah. Yeah, Liverpool had a went after that whole Senegal players, team. The, the one you didn't know as well. It, it works wonders every time, as, as we've seen <laughs> over the years. Now, Jonathan, I've saved this next question for your legacy who scored edge of the box fans are going to love this next topic. Finally, oh, Billy Gilmore, talk about Billy Gilmore. We've waited a long, long time for this, Jonathan. I mean, a knowing deserver, you probably won't even start up against Amrabat at the week, and we've got the head to head here, but. Billy Gilmore's made a, a good start to the season. Not quite the levels that Graham Sooness spoke about him in 2021 when we took the mick and then started mentioning him every show. But <laughs> now it's just that we get to mention him. Yeah, I mean, I don't think any player's ever played as well as uh, Graham Sooness claimed Billy Gilmore played that was in, in that game at the Euros. Um, but he he was really, really good against Newcastle. Um, and yeah, Ferguson obviously and quite rightly took all the headlines because he got the hat-trick, but Billy Gilmore wasn't far behind him. Um, and, and yeah, it, it was very obvious the way Brighton liked to play, that they get the ball to the centre-backs, the centre-backs play to Billy Gilmore, Billy Gilmore plays it wide. And Newcastle actually did a, re- did a pretty good job 
certainly early on of, of shutting that down. The the problem Newcastle then had was that I think partly because of doing that and partly just because of the nature of who they have in or who certainly who they started with in midfield that week, the fact that Joe Willick wasn't available um, and they, they had started Sonali rather than Longstaff. Bunagamarish was deep in midfield. I don't think he's naturally the most defensive player. And without a, some more physical presence alongside him, it meant Jao Pedro got a lot of space. And that's directly caused by by the Billy Gilmore effect. I, you know, as, as Newcastle sort of adjusted, Billy Gilmore suddenly got more space and you know, started controlling the game. And you know, the that, that second goal for Ferguson, it's actually caused by Gilmore slightly miscontrolling the ball. And it, it draws a, two Newcastle players towards him, but he reacts quickly enough. A part to... like Billy Gilmore probably did it on purpose, Jonathan. It was part of that, <laughs> sure. Well, possibly. Um, but, yeah, he, he, he reacted to get to that, you know, what threatened to be loose ball quickest and then played a first-time pass at pace to Ferguson, who was able to turn onto it. Um, so, yeah, he, I, I think he had a difficult time at Norwich, uh, but this season, uh, you know, he, he he looks like he might be the player, maybe not the player Graham Sinus wants him to be, but the player we thought he might be when he started to come through at Chelsea. It'd be interesting if he does do it really well because I wouldn't think Chelsea would try and buy him back. But that is their normal tactic. If you've done well for Brighton, I mean, your mid- midfielder will we'll, we'll, we'll try and get you in. I'm not, that's not going to work this time around unless they've got some kind of a buyback in there. It's good, it's good to see him doing well because I do think he's a really good player. Like you said, suffered a little bit at Norwich, who who were a mess. Chelsea didn't really ever get a proper chance, a proper look in. Oh, I think it's, you shouldn't judge someone on their first full season at a club and now he's coming to that Brighton team that's that's so settled and got the the methods and everything that we harp on about every week about I think he'll go on and have a really good season so it's great to see him start the way he has this time round George let's talk about the signing of Ansu Fati for Brighton on the face of it incredible coup from from Brighton how how they've managed to get Ansu Fati and years ago they wouldn't have been able to dream of, of doing something like this but they're an attractive club because of the way they build and the way they develop players but looking at it, I know you need a squad, but I don't see how you get him and Matoma on the pitch at the same time. Well, I mean, interestingly, last season, Fatty, you know, who's had really um, bad issues, injury issues over the last couple of years, um, has had surgery and the rest of it. He played a, a part for Chavi's Barcelona last season of, of basically coming on the bench late and doing exactly what Jonathan was talking about earlier with, with subs coming on late against tired legs, scoring a few goals, getting a few assists and kind of making hay towards the, the back end of games. Um, but this is a guy that, you know, three years ago was basically seen as being Lionel Messi's successor. And now he's he took Messi's number home. 10 shirt. So he's got some yeah. confidence. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he is the, the, an undoubted talent. I mean, there seemed to be some, some, politics about the way that he left Barcelona with his his dad getting involved and saying that he wanted to send, he he thought he should go to Real Madrid, which isn't going to go down well with the Barcelona um, hierarchy in any way. But I I don't really see where the downside is for this, for for Brighton. You know, they take on a player who they know has incredible talent. If he isn't um, fit enough or fitness issues or or he's lost any of his ability due to those injury concerns, then it comes to an end at the end of the season. If he you know, if they re- revitalise him and he stays at the end of the campaign, they might be first in the queue to sign him if he's available at the end of the season. Um, an unbelievable talent on his day and incredibly exciting for Brighton to have him. And I, I, I think for, for Roberto De Zerbi, if Fatty is playing well enough to take Mitoma's place, that is a, a, an incredibly good problem to have rather than an issue. 
Could he be Fatty, the Europa League player, Jonathan, and then Matoma in the Premier League, perhaps? Could that be a way Brighton might utilise it? Yeah, I, I assume that's how they, they envisaged to start with. That, but yeah, they, they, they mix and match with the with European competition, with you know, League Cup, FA Cup. Uh, I, I, th- I think the concern is, from what I understand, Brighton are paying his wages and he's on 200 grand a week. I'm not sure how that works without having a massive inflationary effect on the rest of the squad. Uh, so so th- that would be the one issue. But from a from a purely football point of view, I think having that extra option, t- you know, um, and I think particularly a player who is young, is coming back from injury issues, who is used to coming off the bench, um, yeah, being able to, to rest Matoma the last 20 minutes of games, I don't think that's the worst thing. And maybe you can drop him through the middle sometimes. Yeah. Uh, I, don't know, I don't know if he or Matoma could, could play from a right. I don't know if that would work, whether that's something they've looked into, that, but maybe you could play them both. Um, and again, maybe that's something to do in the Europa League rather than in a... In a Premier League game, but I, I think it's it's partly about just sort of bolstering the, the or mainly about bolstering the squad. I mean, if you'd have told Graham Soonest that Ansu Fati and Billy Gilmore would have been linking up a couple of years ago, he'd have been assuming <laughs> Billy Gilmore would have been running the Barcelona midfield, wouldn't he? Like, he absolutely would, would have done. We've got um, a Manchester United and Brighton combined 11 here, and it's 7 to Brighton, 4 to Manchester United. Going to butcher the goalkeeper's name probably here. So we've got Verbruggen in goal, Wan-Bissaka right back, England's Lewis Dunk partnering Lissandro Martinez, Estupinian at left back, a mid holding midfield two of Casimiro and Pascal Gross, and then Bruno Fernandez as a ten. Sally March on the right, Matoma on the left, and Evan Ferguson up front. I think it's fair to say Manchester United fans would probably swap their front three for for Brighton's front three hmm. at, at the moment, probably with the exception of uh, of Rashford. But yeah, again, years ago doing a Manchester United and Brighton combined eleven would have been unheard of, unthinkable to have have seven Brighton and four Manchester United. And as we know, George anyway. Brighton probably more likely to challenge for the title than, than Manchester United. Would you disagree with that? <laughs> probably not. Two, two weeks go. later, three <laughs> weeks later, pro- pro- probably not. I, prob- I probably wouldn't, no. There's an effort to the madness. Yeah. Let's have uh, some predictions for Manchester United and Brighton. Well, I'm finding this one tough to call, so I'm going to go to you first, Jonathan. Uh, I've you bottled say. it. 1-1. One, 2-1 one. One Brighton. I'm going to go for 2-1 to Brighton. That's what Same I'm going to do. Me. I thought you said two one to Manchester United. I do apologise. No, 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 no. I'll, I'll stick with it anyway. Then nothing to lose against you. Then if I go, if I go two one, Brighton. What Sam said if you, if you copy me every single time yeah, to the end of the season, I mean, then you beat me. So you know, that's how leagues are won. This is how they're built on copying people. It's not about what you produce. It's built on copying people if you mm. if you want to win the league. Let's look next at Bournemouth against Chelsea. Solanke playing against his old team, I, I believe there. Jonathan Pochettino's start in general. I mean, I think it's such a tough job. I think people are still were predicting Chelsea to be much better this season. I think they will be better, but it's not easy to knit all those players together still, even for a manager of his calibre. Oh yeah, I mean, it's, it's still a complete shambles. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I don't know where you. I mean, they've also got loads of injuries again, so it's just yeah. as well they've got a first team squad of eight hundred and forty-two because about eight hundred and twenty <laughs> of them are injured. So yeah, it's. I, I, I guess what they do now have, you, you know what their the midfield is going to be. Or I say even that, because you, you assume it should be Fernandes and Caicedo. Um, but now Fernandes is playing slightly more advanced with uh, Conor Gallagher playing at the back of midfield, which just seems a bizarre way of using them. And I guess that's why they, they were so diff- so desperate to get in some sort of central attacking talent, why they brought in Cole Palmer. 
Um, but a Carl Palmer deal is such a funny deal. I mean, I just sort of think the fact that Manchester City, who have no financial pressure on them whatsoever, if they're prepared to sell you a player for £45 million, that's a really good reason not to buy that player for £45 million. It, it just... What what have City seen in him that makes them think? You know, in a, you know, in a kid, it's not like he's he's nearing the end of his career. It's 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 not like you know, we know what ceiling he's reached. What have City seen in him to say actually it's worth shipping him on and getting the forty five million quid in? So yeah, there's there's questions all over the place that squad. There's there's still huge holes in it, and and, and the fact that it's been a difficult start, I, I don't think can can surprise anybody. And I, I think Pochettino is now in a difficult position that. Since he left Tottenham, and and you know, I, I've got a lot of sympathy with him for what happened at Tottenham. That uh, you know, I think it was lack of investment in the squad caused it to go, go stale towards the end. And I think the new stadium plus Daniel Levy have to take responsibility for that rather than Pochettino. But in those four years since then, all he's done is eighteen pretty poor months at PSG. So his stock is is not rising, and if he doesn't make a success of this, where's next for him? And it's very hard to see him going to a, a big club next if, if Chelsea fails. So I think there's yeah, questions questions on the bench and, and questions all over the squad. Well, Chelsea have done a great job of shifting players out, I think. But again, George, do you think maybe they've done a little bit too much in the summer? Some people will say that they had to, but it does just feel all over the place. And like Jonathan says, when you've spent a billion pounds across, tw- across 12 months, there shouldn't be holes in the squad. This would be the complete opposite. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with that. I, mean, I, I think when you look individually at the players that they bring in, um, there are very few that aren't pretty exciting signings in isolation. But when you put them all together, it doesn't seem too much to end up thinking apart from, hold on, this is a player under the age of 22 who's had 50 appearances and done quite well at, a, at an elite team. Let, let's sign him. Um, it's interesting on the on the Cole Palmer point, like the there were three players at Man City coming through the academy at the same time or all basically perceived as being the next big stars. And from my understanding, Palmer was probably the least exciting of the three. This is a couple of years ago. You had Liam Delap, uh, James McAtee and um, and Cole Palmer. And Palmer was the one who, who stayed at the club and therefore got the opportunities in the first team and has looked very good and, and had a great summer for the England under-21s as well. So his stock was inevitably high. But you look at Delap, who's had two loan spells last season, um, in the championship and did not perform well at all. He's doing okay this time around at Hull, but, you know, again, at Hull. And James McAtee, who was a part of a Sheffield United squad who got promoted out of the championship. But, you know, when you compare him to, say, Inaman and Jai, like, they were streets apart, like he was a good part of the squad. So I think for Manchester City, they probably look at Cole Palmer and think, how good would he have to be in a couple of years' time to then be worth £45 million? Like, he'd have to develop at a you know continual trajectory up. So I think it's a no-brainer for them to sell him, even if they probably did rate him fairly highly, given how much uh, how many minutes he was given by Guardiola. Um, and, you know, that seems to be Chelsea's way. Like, they 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 ask how much it's going to cost to get a player. They get told the number and they, they pay the number and they move on. Um, I, I do think Chelsea have been a bit unlucky at times. Like, you look through their games this season, it's basically been bad finishing that's cost them. Um, you've got the... the uh, Enzo penalty miss against West Ham on which the game turned against Forest. They obviously missed so many chances both before and after Alanga's goal. And, um, you know, when they start putting those chances away, Jackson being the probably the biggest culprit so far, I think it's not long until they go on a bit of a run. Like, I'm not saying they're going to suddenly blast teams away, but I, I think it's not long until they put a run of form together to get them 
upwardly mobile again i think the, the performances are probably good enough but you know that they're, they're still way below the sum of their parts because when you look at the team and individuals there are loads of players within their squad who most teams in the well probably all teams in the premier league would like to have but you know you can't go through two transfer windows and bring in basically a squad and a half full of players i mean you say when they start putting the ball in the back of the net, and I accept that Nkunku's out at the moment, and he's a he's a very good goal scorer. But the rest of that team, where are the where are the goals? Raheem Sterling's never been massively prolific, except for at, at City when it was in a in a very defined playing style, getting to the back post and, and knocking the ball in the net. Mudrik doesn't look like he's ever scored a goal in in his life. <laughs> Nicholas Jackson looks like a, a good mobile striker, but again, he might come, but he doesn't look like a finisher to me. It feels a bit still like it's going to be the same problems for Chelsea as they had last season. They they just they'll create chances, but they don't have that that man who has got the eye for goal. But that's the problem when you bring in kids, right? I mean, yeah. Nicholas Jackson had started sixteen league games before the season. Mudrik had started 30, 33 league games, I think, in Ukraine before he and not not even all for Shakhtar. Hmm. Uh, yeah, some of them on loan before that. I, I you know I, I think Mudrik. Uh, you, you know, we, we've seen him in the, the games against Celtic and against Leipzig in the, in the Champions League. We've seen him finishing really well, but even from that, um, hang on, sorry, there's a, there's a fox uh, running. <laughs> what? It's the middle of the day. What this is the guy? This on? is the like, guy Chelsea need that fox in the box, Jonathan. This yeah, is, well, it's, right. it's, this a, it's a fox on my terrace. I mean, the arrogance of them—it's staring in at me. Uh, the door's open. I'm slightly concerned, but stop staring. Uh, I am just going to go and close the door, if that's all right. I, would, I really don't want to come in. It would be funny if a fox just ran into your, into your house. I hope, I hope Jonathan walks back in with a fox in his arms. <laughs> I'd love to just hear a fox bolt across the screen. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. You dealt, dealt with the fox issue? Well, he's given me a right stare. Oh, my God. Look at that's that. That's how close he is. Wow. That looks like a painting. Oh my word! Yeah, it looks like yeah, it does look a bit like a painting. I've completely lost where we, where where we are with this now. Completely lost where where we are. I think we've probably, <laughs> we've probably covered Chelsea Chelsea there. I, I, I would say if in the attacking sense. Yeah, I, I was just saying that. Yeah, because they're not because uh, they're kids and they're not playing well. It's difficult to see where the confidence is coming from. Yeah, he's going to be. I mean, look, if there's any manager that he's going to build a team, it probably is Pochettino. But I still think there's more questions than answers with, with Chelsea, which again should not be the case after you've spent a billion pounds in in 12 months. One of the areas they just haven't addressed for me, George, is goalkeeper. Again, how can you spend a billion pounds and not have a not have a bona fide number one? Like it, uh, Robert Sanchez was struggling at Brighton. That's why he lost his place to, to Jason Steele. He's now Chelsea's number one. <clears throat> you know, Chelsea, they've been one of the most successful English teams in the, in the last decade or so. And they got Robert Sanchez in goal. I think there's a bit of recency bias here. Like Sanchez, if, if Chelsea bought Sanchez... A year ago, I think everyone would have thought it was quite a good, quite a good deal. You know, he's not particularly old. You know, he's got a, a long career ahead of him. He's he's an international. He he's plays the the way that Pochettino likes to play, where he's very comfortable with the ball at his feet. Is he that comfortable? You know, the, he never strikes me as being comfortable on the ball. I've yeah, got to be honest. People talk about. I think he's. I, I think he's fine. I mean, he played under Brian Barry Murphy at Rochdale, so he, he must have been giving them what they did, as you know, Dan. Of course. But, um, right. He. Correct. Um, but uh, you know, but like when you look at the career trajectory of Edouard Mendy, who came into Chelsea in 2020 and was, and was basically being hailed as the best keeper in the league for a time, and then lost his place to Kepa not long later. Like it's easy to for, for these, especially the keepers, and even like David De Gea, who 
over the course of his Manchester United career went from the sublime to the ridiculous. Like these, Robert Sanchez is a good keeper who went through a, a, a difficult spell, I would say. Um, you know, I'm sure Chelsea would have explored other options, but in terms of who is available for a certain price point, you know, maybe the plan is that Sanchez will in time be the, be the second keeper, but he's the, the person who's in there now. Um, and I'm sure given the Chelsea way, if there's an opportunity to recruit someone else above him, they will just go ahead and do that. But they needed a keeper. Like, you know, Kepa did well to another player who's been through massive cycles in, in his in his pretty short career, did well to regain that, the, the shirt or the gloves. Look at the move that he's got himself now. But I think Chelsea fans were, were pretty united in the fact that they, they needed a new goalkeeper to, to come in. So, yeah, I, I'm not writing off Sanchez as of yet. I almost think investing in a keeper when they've had a, a difficult spell but has proven quality in the past probably isn't the worst way to go about it. Well, he's in the who scored lowest rated goalkeepers in the Premier League since 22-23. And actually, he's the lowest ranked goalkeeper that's currently playing in the Premier League. So, not pleasant reading for, for Chelsea fans. Jonathan, what, what do you think of, of Sanchez? Surely, you know, Chelsea can do better than Robert Sanchez. Surely. I, I, I'm sure that they, they, they probably will. I mean, they've um, they've brought in, sorry, I've forgotten his name, a Serbian lad who's playing MLS. Um, Petrovic, 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 yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we've got we've got him who, yeah, as with the rest of the squad, is lined up for the future. I think Sanchez was essentially somebody they could get in to cover for Kepa because they decided that they wanted Kepa out of the squad off the books, and and the injury to Courtois gave him the opportunity to to, to loan him to Real Madrid. So, I, I I can't believe he's the the keeper they believe will be leading to the Champions League in three years' time. It's almost like, oh, we need a keeper, where should we go? Oh, we've been to Brighton before. Let's go there. <laughs> it almost feels that that simple. I know they've got some some former Brighton staff behind the scenes at, at Chelsea, but yeah, to me, it just seems very, very basic. George, let's talk about, about Bournemouth and David Brooks and one again. You'll have watched a lot of in the mm. EFL. It's been a tough start for the new manager trying to implement his, his ideas so far, but, but they've done okay, I would say. There is some encouraging signs, but David Brooks is certainly one of those encouraging signs. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a brilliant to see Brooks doing what he's doing. You know, a guy who was such a great talent coming through at Sheffield United, um, got his move to Bournemouth, a really exciting talent, uh, a Welsh international, and then, and then of course, um, was diagnosed with leukaemia out of nowhere. So for him to, well, firstly, for, for Bournemouth to have kind of stood by him and given him the necessary support to get him back to, to health and fitness is, is laudable. But I, I think just as football fans, we can all agree that when a, a guy with that kind of promise is diagnosed with that kind of illness and comes back and starts performing the way he is in the Premier League, that is something that everyone can kind of get behind and, and, and applaud. Um, of course. For for Bournemouth themselves, when you look at the, the start they've had on paper, I mean, it didn't look great. But when you consider now that they played Spurs, who are currently second, Liverpool, who are currently third, West Ham, who are currently fourth, and, and uh, Brentford, who are currently eighth, and they drew against the the final two there, West Ham and uh, and Brentford. Like it's 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 a difficult start. Now they host a Chelsea team who might be lower down in the table, but certainly have the quality to to cause them issues. Um, so I think with with Bournemouth, it's it's got to be a case of just eke out what you can for now. Easier games are going to come. Let's have our predictions for Bournemouth against Chelsea. Then I'll go first this time, and I will say Bournemouth one, Chelsea one. Jonathan, two uh, one to Chelsea. 2-1 to Chelsea. George? 1-0 to Chelsea. 1-0 to Chelsea. Let's get on with the rest of our predictions. And I don't know whether Jonathan knows, but I'm quite comfortably top. At least I was quite comfortably top. We will get a full league table in the coming weeks. Start with Wolves against Liverpool, which is the Saturday lunchtime kickoff. Jonathan? 
Uh, 2-1 to Liverpool. I'm going to go for 3-0 to Liverpool, George. 2-0 Liverpool. 2-0 Liverpool, George. You can start. Villa Palace. (laughs) Um, 2-0 Villa. 1-0 Villa. Exactly the same for me. 1-0 to Villa. Fulham, Luton. I'm going to go for... I'm going to go 1-1 again. Fulham, Luton, George. 0-0. Hasn't been one yet, is there? Uh, 1-0 to Fulham. Tottenham against Sheffield United, George. 2-0 Spurs. 3-0 Tottenham for me. Jonathan? 2-0 Spurs. West Ham against Manchester City, Jonathan. Uh, 2-1 to City. I'm going to go the same. 2-1 to Manchester City, George. 1-0. 1-0, he's done it. Another Mm. tough one to call. Newcastle against Brentford. I'm going to say 2-1 to Newcastle. 2-0 Newcastle. 1-0 Newcastle. Everton, Arsenal, Jonathan. 2-1 to Arsenal. 2-1 to Arsenal. I'm going to go 3-0 to Arsenal, George. 2-0 Arsenal. 2-0 2-0 to I've Arsenal. 2-0 for basically every game. You have done a lot, a lot, of, a lot of 2-0s there. And then finally, <laughs> Nottingham Forest against Burnley. Jonathan in the midst of taking more photos. Uh, 1-0 to Forest. I'm going to go 1-1. Again, George. 2-1 Burnley. Oh, done it. That's a bold shout, George, that is. Thank you. Let's finish then with Nottingham Forest. In their last 10 games, Jonathan, they've won five, lost three and drawn two. Kind of felt last time they just started to get things right in January, and then they threw a load of new new players in, and went on a bit of a sticky run again. They've started the season well, and then on deadline day they thought, "Whoa, we haven't bought twenty seven players here. We're going to do something quickly," and, and signed a load on the last untransferred deadline day. What, what have you made of that, and what have you made of Forest's start to the season? Well, the start of the season's been really good. I mean, even the games where they they haven't won, you have a game at Old Trafford, obviously tuned up inside five minutes. Yeah, I watched that; they um, were good. And, and played, I mean, they get they get undone by, I mean, I, I think it was a penalty, I think it was a red card, but they're, they, they're fairly harsh decisions. You, you look at the game at Arsenal where, again, second half of that game, they played really well. So the, the fact they've got six points in four games and three of those games have been away from home and two of them against teams he finished in the Champions League places last season, that's a really good start for them. But they have brought in 14 players in the window, albeit three on loan. And that 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 I guess is a concern, but at least Steve Cooper has been through that before. And yeah, if you actually look at the teams he's picked, it's been pretty consistent. He's picked the same back three in every game. Then the, the midfield four, he's sort of been cycling between five of them. So there's only five different players who played in those four midfield positions. Gibbs White and a one-year front with I mean with Johnson, who's now gone. So Danilo played there in the game at at, at, at Chelsea, who was one of the one of those five midfielders. So he he's kept that pretty pretty consistent and I think he the fact he's had that experience twice before I don't think he's going to be seduced into suddenly kind of making wholesale changes and I guess the assumption is that Alanga comes in and takes Johnson's place I mean it's it's basically got to be him or uh, um, Nikita they're, they're the two who can do it um, not Divo Carigi Hudson the door yeah 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 <laughs> there we go we, we both know yeah. the player that could come in it's ridiculous yeah. isn't it you always think you forget yeah. who they've signed. I know. Um, yeah, I mean, Hudson and I guess, of the new players would be the obvious one. Yeah. Um, but I, I, yeah, anyway, the, the, the basic point stands. I think he he has a pretty clear idea of what he wants his team to be. And, and I think he's strong enough to leave leave players out. Yeah, George. What What about you? What, what do you make of a uh, Forest? They got so I love. I've got to say, I love Morgan Gibbs. Well, I think I, everyone scoffed at his fear a little bit, but that's a player that really carried Forest on his back at the end of last season with Brennan Johnson, and 
always wants the ball, never hides, and I love that about him, works hard as well. So they have got some some good players and they have had a, an interesting start to the season. Also, where does Hawanyi rate in terms of Premier League strike? We saw him flash up on our, on our graphic earlier. He's mm. in sensational form, really. Incredible form. I mean, it's, it's kind of a weird run given that he you know, wasn't prolific in any way for the first 30-odd games of last season and suddenly scored the goals to, to keep Forrest in the division and is now really settling in. Um, it's funny you mentioned Gibbs White. I spent a glorious day in the summer of 2022 just on Twitter arguing with people about how good, good Gibbs White is. And you look through it and now most of them have been deleted, sadly. Um, oh, really? But I couldn't agree more. Yeah. I mean, it's a, just an unbelievable talent and someone who's still... One, one of them wasn't um, there, was it? I'll go back and have a look. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's still incredibly young. Like, I don't think people quite realise yet that for a guy who... Um, has played a lot of first team football. I mean, he's still 23 years old and, and is improving very quickly. So, but you know, when you look through the, you go to the forest page of on who scored and, and kind of sort the players by their, their who scored rating. Um, you look through them and it's, it's Willy Bolly at the top. who was there last season. Owen E second, Gibbs White third, Aurier fourth, Turner, the keeper who's come in in the, in the, in the summer fifth, but then Necker Williams, like McKenna and Yates doesn't seem to matter how many, players for us bring in McKenna plays Yates plays Worrell plays like the, the the success rate for the for the amount of players they've won over the year last year or so is is pretty poor but then you know there are players at the top end who are, who are still doing well so um it, yeah I, I think after the season they had last season it felt like surely they were going to change their transfer strategy but you look at the amount of players they brought in like it'd be impossible to for, for them all to fit in so I think they'll be okay like they seem to have a, a fairly settled team now um it's just whether or not Maranakis, their owner, is going to have an issue if Steve Cooper continues to play his um, his trusted players rather than the ones that he's bought for him. We'll have to wait and see. I mean, who scored have put together a, a best eleven of, of Forest players, including their new signings of I think it was I think it was twenty twenty three. I've been distracted again because two more Fox pictures have come through. Jonathan, <laughs> they should they should definitely be flashed up on the on the screen instead of the Nottingham Forest team. Absolutely sensational scenes. To be honest, it's been more edge of the fox this week than than edge of the box. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. It's been another enjoyable fifty <laughs> minutes or so with the two of you. Thanks to everyone that's tuned in and watched as well. We will be back next week as always to preview next week's Premier League. Action, so make sure you don't miss it by subscribing with your post notifications on. Give us a like as well and comment with whether you agree with our thoughts ahead of this coming game week. Yeah, nothing else to say, really. Let's go. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm.